When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. Here we go. Jackson for his tight end, brought in by Mark Andrews, who escapes and goes all the way for the touchdown. Intercepted, picked up by Thomas. Earl Thomas with a foot race. Brown won't get him. That will be six. Running a little option. Jackson keeps. Jackson breaks the tackle. He's right to the pylon, and it's a touchdown. Welcome to another edition of Pod Like a Raven. The winds just keep rolling. The episodes just keep getting better and better. We're getting more and more excited. I'm joined in the studio by Tim Horsey. Tim, uh, we watched the game together. What What is happening with this team? Well, um, I don't know. They're the best team in the National Football League. You called it last week. I disagreed with you. I can now confirm this Ravens team is the best team in the NFL, and it's absolutely incredible. Uh, as we mentioned a few weeks ago, fearing no one, making everybody look silly. So I- I'm doing fantastic, my friend. As they get better, and as it's more and more obvious that they're the number one team in the NFL, I get more and more nervous. But but we'll talk about that a bit later on in the show. I'm joined alongside Tim by Jace Evans over on the West Coast. Jace, how's it going over there? Yeah, like Tim said, doing great. It's hard to complain when the Ravens are uh, playing about as well as we've ever seen them literally ever um, so yeah no complaints on this end excited to, uh, to break down another dub stacking victories as the the team says Big this whoop. week this week tim and i watched the game together over at tim's apartment first time first time this season we got to keep it going i, I think at this point because now we've established some sort of pattern we were both all three of us i would say we're a little nervous about this game sure Tim and I, before the game started, a little, little, little worried. Uh, we maybe had a few extra drinks lined up, a few <laughs> extra snacks to to nervous eat. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, and then just after that first quarter, got more and more comfortable and became just another Ravens blowout in a season of success. They beat the Texans at home 41-7. to They now improved to 8-2 and on the season. These are numbers I can't believe I'm saying out loud. Pulling away now to get a first round bye in the playoffs. 
what can we say about this team? What can we say about this game against the Texans? Tim? Uh, I mean, first off, in a general scope, Russell Wilson goes down, Tom Brady goes down, and now Deshaun Watson has gone down. Combined score for those three wins, the Ravens have outscored those three opponents 108 to 43. It's been absolute domination against some of the NFL's elite and against two of the other MVP candidates uh, in Russell Wilson and Deshaun Watson, not not Tom Brady, which is hilarious. Um, I mean, where do we start here, man? It, we can talk about before the game, you know, you weren't kidding. I made extra food just to make sure we had enough distress eat. Luckily, it was just celebratory <laughs> eating at that point. Um, and the first quarter was a little weird. We were looking at each other. The rhythm was kind of off. Then they said that refereeing crew had thrown the fourth most penalty flags in the league this season. And I got instantly infuriated. That that kind of didn't rear its ugly head and something we'll talk about a little later for the Baltimore <laughs> Ravens, uh, interestingly enough. But then they started to find their rhythm, man. Um you know what? I want, I want to start with this because he's a guy that I've clowned on a lot in this podcast, a guy that I still don't think the Ravens should sign for big money in the offseason. But Matthew Judon, have yourself a game, man. Two sacks, four quarterback hits, seven tackles, three tackles for a loss and a forced fumble. Uh, that body is made by Taco, Taco Bell, man, and it is producing some fantastic results. I worry that that's just the Judon game. You know, last season he had three sacks and three consecutive plays, and everybody's like, oh, he's an elite pass rusher, which is just not true. But, I mean, look, if he can keep this going, that's another facet of this team that has struggled recently that could turn out to be um, kind of a bright spot, which would be nice. Yeah, and I think with him, it's because his pressure numbers and his quarterback hits have always been pretty good, but he just doesn't sack the quarterback maybe that you expect someone who might get paid the level he does or will to have but yeah there was no denying he was fantastic uh on sunday and the whole the defense as a whole i think is um really the story of the game which is kind of crazy when you consider the ravens put up 41 points again and we're just like ah that's secondary but they got after deshaun watson they bottled him up and we expressed great concern about watson in the lead up and basically the ravens defense forced him to play his worst game as a professional And that's exciting. I think it's obviously something to build off of. Uh, We've talked all year about um, how these pieces uh, Eric DaCosta's added has come in and really helped. And I think that we're seeing them really start to coalesce. And as you know, we're in mid-November now. That's real important for the stretch run. The game opened up and yes, uh, you know, there was a sack and a fumble right away on Deshaun Watson and the Ravens Mm -hmm. got the ball. But as the first quarter developed, it looked like it was going to be a long day. And yep. I want to get into those first few drives that uh, that the Texans had where it was going to just, oh, they're, they're never going to be able to cover DeAndre Hopkins this entire game. He's going to have like 12 to 15 catches and he's going to be converting first downs the whole game. He had three or four in the first couple of drives. Um, and but. Then the Ravens are able to get some stops. The real turning point that we have to get into, let's do it earlier rather than later, the deep pass interference <laughs> uh, on a fourth down play, which to guess who, guess who DeAndre Hopkins, uh, would have been a touchdown if caught, would have been pass interference if they had made the call and put the Texans on the one-yard line. I am not saying that the game would have had a different outcome, but at that point it's 0-0, 
and you have a situation where, you know, we talk about this every week. We want the Ravens to have a lead and establish their game plan and their tempo. If the Texans score first, it's going to be a more, I, I will say, a more interesting game. And uh, there was no pass interference called. I, th- I think all three of us will agree that it was pass interference. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. Uh, yeah. I will say if they scored there, more of those pretzel chips would have been eaten than actually were at the uh, at the party yesterday. Go ahead, Jason. Well, it was just such the degree that, like, you could – I rewatched it this afternoon as we record. You could tell Marlon Humphrey was surprised it wasn't called because he did kind of the dejected sit there and, like, I think expected the – the flag, but then he was just like, no, that was fourth down and they didn't call anything. Bill O'Brien challenged it and that didn't get overturned, um, which we've talked on and off all year about how these P.I. challenges, uh, they're just not overturning anything. But it did make me wonder that, like, if they're not going to overturn that in what we all thought, I think was fairly obvious, like, I think the exact same Saints scenario could play out again and they wouldn't overturn the calls at this point. But... Right. Even in terms of, oh, they're never going to overturn that, even though it looks like pass interference. Tim, both of us were (laughs) sure, oh, this is getting overturned because that's how blatantly obvious it is. And that's how big of a play it was, too. It was like a 40 yard pass on fourth and three and still no overturn. Oh, it was absolutely ridiculous. I mean, (laughs) Marlon Humphrey and an interesting point to kind of build off of this, too. They're coming out today, and I believe it was Ian Rappaport for NFL.com was explaining, well, it wasn't that clear and obvious. How do you get more obvious? Is <laughs> obvious only the play last year in the NFC Championship game? Is that the degree of heinous we have to get to for them to overturn a call? I mean, it's just it's something where and I think Harbaugh found this out early and I remember him coming out. I believe it was after the Kansas City game, one of only two losses for the Baltimore Ravens this year, sitting at eight and two. That he said, there's no point in challenging these. He figured it out early that they're just not going to overturn this stuff. I mean, they haven't overturned one yet, I believe, in the NFL. Maybe one. It's I can't, I, it's real I small, the amount that has. Yeah. It's it's minuscule compared to the amount of challenges there's been. Yeah, so a point, a point I do want to come off of this. I did something that I kind of noticed here. Humphrey clearly struggled on that play. We talked about this last week. I I came on here and said, I think... Marlon Humphrey should be the guy on Hopkins. I don't want Peters on Hopkins because he'll be susceptible to double moves and things like that. I was completely wrong. Um, The rest of the time when you saw Hopkins not getting open or having to make a tough catch or getting the ball swatted, guess who was on him? Number 24, Marcus Peters, who I think it's being a little bit overblown how he's completely turned the defense around. But at the same point, it's hard to ignore some of these stats. Since week seven, the Ravens ranked first in both offensive and defensive, more importantly, DVOA, which is an advanced stat. For Mina Kimes here from ESPN, since the Marcus Peters trade, the Ravens defense is the highest pressure percentage in the NFL. And something that we were talking about off air could be because of the coverage on the back end and forced the second lowest passer rating in the NFL. Again, Wilson, Brady, Watson. These are the guys they're doing it against. Finley, too, but yeah, we don't have to mention him as much. Um, I think another brilliant move by Eric DaCosta to bring in a piece, and that was probably the biggest midseason piece he's brought in so far, but it's really reshaped this defense. And to have a guy like that on the other side of Humphrey who can go in and shut down your lead receiver is invaluable in this league. Well, it's a situation. When you look at the beginning of the season – they talked about the secondary was going to be the strength of this defense. Yep. 
Then you have a few injuries. All of a sudden, it's no and a few communication issues. Sure. It's no longer the strength of the defense. Yes, Peters hasn't been sort of like the answer to every problem that the Ravens have ever had, but it reflipped the script that this secondary could now once again be the strength because you plugged one of those holes with a really good player. Everything reset to the beginning of the year when you have a really good secondary, yeah. and that's helped every layer of the of the defense. I was going to say, you remember Maurice Kennedy? You remember <laughs> Deshaun Elliott? You remember Brandon Carr, who I haven't had to mention, who actually had some nice plays in this game. Um, it's been it's been really really nice to see, and you know the pass rush had a great game against Watson. Something that if this was a Houston podcast, I'd be flipping this chair over talking about how that guy needs to get rid of the darn ball. A lot of the time he holds it for seven to ten seconds trying to win the game on every play, which is just not how this works. Um, but part of the reason he's holding the ball probably is because there's not guys open and the, and the defensive secondary playing very, very well. Yeah, that, that has been strange. It's been confusing to me. Obviously, the whole story all season and in other seasons is that Deshaun Watson is taking way too many sacks this early in his career. It's going to end up breaking him down. But seeing a full game of him playing against the Ravens. More times than not, to me, of those seven sacks, the majority seemed like situations where he's got to do something. You have to either get rid of the ball, get out of the pocket, or find the dump off. And I don't know if this is just how their offense is structured, or I feel like every time I'm watching a non-Texans game, uh, when it's the Ravens and they flash the like, well, here's you know a highlight coming out of New York, and it's Deshaun Watson throwing the ball 60 yards downfield, and that's how they score these big plays. <laughs> but then the sacrifice of that is that he takes these sacks because these plays are so slow developing plays where I don't know if the issue is him just not wanting to take checkdowns, if the checkdowns aren't there. I find that impossible that they're just not there. But it just seems like he's always looking for the big play and got burned over and over and over again. Yeah, the, especially the the very first, uh, and you mentioned it, kind of setting the tone early, that, that Judon, the Judon first sack where Watson fumbled, that was by far, he had 10 seconds. The Ravens weren't even really getting all that close to him until things really started to break down. And like you said, like Peyton Manning used to not get sacked all the time, but he was also really good at just throwing the ball away. And sometimes you just have to be like, well, this play's dead and just... Wing it out of bounds, and same with Tom Brady doesn't get actually sacked all that often, even though he's extremely immobile. Um, but yeah, so I was right there with you watching a full kind of Texans game, but not just sort of the abbreviated highlights or condensed game. It really strikes you how long he holds the ball. But that being said, I still did think the Ravens, I mean, seven sacks at their season high. So they definitely got after him and they kept the pursuit up, which I believe John Harbaugh mentioned as a, a big uh, key kind of key, especially with a guy like him. So I was really impressed with the defense uh, on Sunday. Yeah. Absolutely. And a guy, because I know we do need to turn to the offense. You can tell this is a Ravens podcast because we have a fantastic offense and us three knuckleheads just want to go defense, defense, defense (laughs) to kick it off every time because that's just what we've been born and bred with. But anyway, before we move to the offense and how great they were, got to give a shout out to my guy with the best nickname on the team, Jalen Sack Daddy Ferguson, who apparently I was seeing some back and forth on Instagram. The the team doesn't want to call him that. I'm going to call him that because it's an, it's an incredible name. And he showed up four tackles two uh four tackles, two of them for a loss and his first NFL sack. Congratulations to Jalen there. And an interesting note here, Harbaugh and his uh, Monday presser said he designed inside rushes and inside games for him to penetrate and open up opportunities for the loopers. So the guys coming around off his butt on the outside 
a la Tyus Bowser, someone like that. And he stepped up and played that role really well. Ferguson's a bigger guy as an outside rusher. So being able to have that flexibility to kind of move inside and use those stunt plays is nice. And it's another guy that's starting to step up. Tyus Bowser got praised last week for uh, his play. And then now you have Ferguson as well. Some of these young pass rushers who guess what, you know, Judon's not going to have two sacks every single game. It's just not, it's not in his nature. Or we, most games. Or most games. We've seen that. <laughs> He's not good enough to be just your one option rushing the passer. Wink Martindale ain't afraid to send the house, which is great, but you got to get those defensive linemen um, who are drafted to be pass rushers, like those two guys mentioned, Ferguson and Bowser, to step up into their roles. And again, let's hope this is something we see consistently moving forward now that they're kind of getting into the flow of things. It, it's absolutely been a case of, of using everyone on the team, using everybody's strengths. Even the snap counts on yep. a lot of these players have been extremely well divided. When you don't have a lot of superstars, just rotate in your guys and then put them in the best situations that, that you can. So let's turn to the offense. Now I touched on it a little bit earlier that first quarter, uh, a little quiet, a little strange. Uh, Jackson seemed a little uneasy with his first few throws. He had a couple overthrows. He looked a little excited. Uh, one of the first times in several games that we haven't seen him completely settled and locked in on, on that first drive of the game with all those touchdowns that they've been scoring on first drives of the game. Uh, but so the first, I'm, I'm looking at the uh, the drives for the Ravens. They had the missed field goal, the Justin Tucker first missed field goal of the season. Uh, they had a turnover on downs when they went for the fake uh, attempt on, on fourth down that I looked at that highlight uh, today and really I'm just mad because it looked like uh, Andrews missed the hole on that play. I don't know if you guys have taken another look at this, but he went outside and it was very clearly an angle yeah. inside yeah. where he couldn't have got could have got the first down hard by the, uh, the fourth down trick play master. I want to give him a little bit of credit there. And then the last play of the first quarter was a drop by Nick Boyle on a pass where had he caught it and turned, he had like 20 yards of space. Yeah, that would have been like a 40-yard pass. A few more groans from Tim and I. The quarter ends. We're a little nervous, uh, a little unsettled. Uh, what's happening here? Why don't we have a 14-0 lead? Cracking a new beer because we're then, very nervous. And then the second quarter. Second quarter happens. The Ravens settle right in with the run game score some touchdowns in the air, and they were off and running. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, like you said, Lamar started one for six and then hit 13 straight passes. Yeah, from, all, the, from those, right from that Boyle drop, it was 13 yep. straight. So <laughs> For those few people who wanted to creep back up on Twitter and say Lamar can't throw the ball and then had to go right back into their hole where they belong, <laughs> um, I want to give a couple shout-outs here. Talking about the passing game, because I know we'll get to the running game in a bit. 20 completions um, overall, you know, one one from Sam Cook, Robert Griffin, the third had two, uh, Lamar Jackson, 17 to 24 for 222 and four touchdowns, as we mentioned earlier, but not one receiver went over four receptions. Mark Andrews had four, Ingram had three, Patty Ricard had three, we'll get to him in a minute. Hollywood, Nick Boyle, Hayden Hurst, and Willie Sneed all had two, with Seth Roberts, his first touchdown of the year, uh, congratulations to him, and Justice Hill, each having a reception. They're really spreading the ball around, they're really finding a lot of these weapons. And you talk about the tight ends, and you talk about Ricard. I was listening to some other general NFL podcasts uh, today, kind of getting set for, for ours here on Pod Like a Raven, and they mentioned something, and it was a former player who mentioned, if you're looking at this team line up with Patrick Ricard and three tight ends on the field, you're like, oh, they're going to run the ball down our throats. But they can spread you out because all of those guys are athletic enough to get down the field. Andrews obviously being the main guy, Hurst as well, who I thought played pretty well getting involved with those two catches um, to really start the rhythm for Lamar Jackson. 
it, the the way they can disguise and be multifaceted because these guys are so dynamic in, in multiple different ways is just makes this offense more and more terrifying. So, I mean, the passing game I thought was absolutely incredible after that first quarter, obviously. Yeah, it, it it's kind of amazing how this team and obviously as Ravens fans, we've never seen anything like this. The Ravens are <laughs> on a real good path to finish first in the league in points. They're, uh, I believe, currently second in yards, uh, total yards. Um, but so after the first quarter, like we said, uh, excluding the end of halfs kneel downs, they scored on every single drive, the whole rest of the game. Um, it just seems, and we talk about like the opponents, um, we face, uh, and it seems like no one can slow this team down between the, the, the passing from Lamar and then just obviously what he brings running, but and what I think he brings running extends, you know, to the, the running backs as a whole. But uh, I, I'm right there with you in terms of sharing the ball. It was great to, I think, see Mark Ingram in particular get involved in the passing game. You know, he had two touchdown receptions, uh, including, I think, an all time great celebration on the the the, sl- the slide and lounge. Uh, <laughs> um, but which we haven't seen a ton of him catching the ball out of the backfield. So I. That was, I think, another kind of wrinkle from Greg Roman. And yeah, just it, when you have that many guys who can catch the ball, you know, we I still have some concerns about maybe Hollywood not being, uh, you know, this, this early in his career, maybe not being the takeover receiver. That's one thing this team doesn't have, but it hasn't really proven a hindrance to this point. And if they're able to just keep sharing the ball, they're going to be able to do some damage offensively throughout the season. Yeah, I mean, that JC took the words right out of my mouth. There's just so many players on this team who can do damage in one way or another. They all sort of have their own little niche, which is kind of nice. Some are the power guys, some are the speed guys, some are the playmaker guys. But it's just Lamar Jackson and his arsenal of weapons, and you can't really defend all of it. We talked about during the Patriots game, the, cl- the classic Bill Belichick is that he takes away your best thing. He didn't really have one specific thing to take away, and that keeps happening in all of these games when you see different guys catching balls. When you see wide receivers, tight ends, fullbacks, (laughs) defensive linemen, they're all catching (laughs) passes, uh, and they're all getting, like, yards after the catch, too. Like, these aren't just sort of like, oh, as soon as they catch it, they go down. They're breaking tackles. Ingram, I had no idea this guy, he's been in the league six years, had no idea he was this much of a playmaker. Uh, seeing him catch two balls out of the backfield and, the one and where turn them both into touchdowns. Yeah. It's like evading play. He has speed, he has power, can break tackles. He's like the eighth guy on this team <laughs> in terms of like, oh, I'm terrified if he has the ball in his hands in space. Yeah. And, and he, by the way, real quickly, before we get into Ingram, because I, I have a lot to say on this guy, just in terms of on and off the field, what he's changed. Patty Ricard is flying up my fullback Mount Rushmore for the Baltimore Ravens. I mean, skyrocketing at this point. It's, it's going to be tough to take away Vontae Leach's crown, obviously. He's the number one. He's the GOAT. Patrick Ricard now owns the NFL record for receptions in a season by a player who also sacked the quarterback during that same season. Because guess what? It's 2019, and our 330-pound fullback also plays defensive tackle. When they get him out in the flat, and he's able to turn up field with a head of steam, I think he, like, destroyed one of their corners. I thought that guy had to go to the hospital afterwards. I, I love, I love, I love that we are still committing to the fullback because it's my favorite position on offense. But anyway, that's that's just for me. <laughs> Mark Ingram, you see the stats and you and 
you saw the plays. I mean, it's the first touchdown he got out of the backfield. There's just nobody around him. It's like, all right, I guess he's just going to run right into the end zone. The second one coming out to the left where he makes that guy miss, toe taps on the line, like you said, Antonio, has the speed to get into the end zone and the power to to break through those tackles and to finally reach over to the goal line, the awareness to get over to the goal line because I think he was stopped from behind a couple yards before. Um, he was wrapped up at his feet. And then you see the off the field stuff in the press conf. You know, he's going in and, he, and he's clearly having fun with these guys doing the whole blackjack joke uh, with um, I can't remember. The it was reporter uh, Brandon Williams. Well, Brandon Williams, but I can't remember who the reporter was. But yeah, with Brandon Williams. And then he's doing his postgame press conference and he's hyping up Lamar Jackson. They've, they've had pictures of him at the Cincinnati game where he's like Lamar sitting on there, like trying to read the play or trying to look at the um, the video screen with the coaches. And Ingram's just standing over him like a hype man. <laughs> that kind of veteran leadership. Gus Edwards, congrats to him getting over 100 yards that that run at the end that the game was already sealed. It was just kind of rubbing dirt in, in the wound. <laughs> Um, that's awesome for Gus Bus, and it's great to have that secondary option. But to have a leader in terms of a veteran presence, because Lamar is the leader of this team. We know that. And everybody follows him where he goes. And we've talked about his maturity a number of times. But I only think he's allowed to do that a lot of the time because he has a veteran who came in immediately and said, I'm not the guy here. You're the guy. I'm going to follow you. And everybody takes that example. And it's just it's been incredible. And we've talked about it over and over and over again. He's in the class of Anquan Bolden. He's in the class of Eric Weddle. He's in the class of Steve Smith Sr. These guys who when they signed for the Ravens, you went, oh, yeah. That guy's a Baltimore Raven. That makes sense. And it's great to have him in the backfield with Lamar Jackson. Yeah, his his off the field stuff is this team. This is a very simple analysis of it, but this team is very fun uh, on and off the very field. Very fun. <laughs> and, you know, winning obviously brings a level of fun, but the Ravens did win a lot of games the last several years compared to other NFL teams. And I don't remember having a lot of fun uh, on these marches to eight and eight or nine and seven. Uh like it could always be worse, but they weren't exactly thrilling. But you you watch the behind the scenes stuff like the Ravens uh, have produced and this team is having a great time. And as a fan, this like you really can't ask for more. They're fun to watch. And then they get off the field and you have like Mark Ingram cutting promos uh the whoop whoop stuff. I don't know if you you saw this. This whoop. must be a thing that's developed because uh, when John Harbaugh was trying to give his uh, post game speech, everyone just kept going big whoop in the background. <laughs> um, and it just it's just tiny things like that. And uh, the the Ingram uh, pre Lamar press conference hype uh, hype up video that was going around Twitter yesterday uh, on Sunday. I watched that no less than thirty times. It is fantastic. Mark Ingram rules on and off the field. But yeah, I think he just brings a level of fun to this team that, you know, we've probably been missing for a few years. It's a team that has confidence soaring through the roof, out the windows, into the neighborhood, into the surrounding cities. (laughs) They think they can beat and will beat everybody they face. Uh, They're in the meat of the schedule that we, at the preseason Maybe they'll split these games. If they win two out of the five tough games, they may be able to grab a playoff berth and they're steamrolling through this tough part of their schedule. I mean, we, we've seen <laughs> we were nine and ten years old during that Super Bowl season when the defense basically in that on that team figured it out. And then they just went on a tear 
and that the rest of the season for the NFL was over. That defense was not going to let anybody else score on them for the rest of the season. They won like eight, nine, ten games in a row. I'm not sure what the final number ended up being into the playoffs and, and then into a Super Bowl. And I think this team has that same level of confidence and swagger, except it's I would say the majority of it is on the on the offensive side, uh, and then the defense is, is sort of rounding into form right now. We could talk about a, you know a forty-one to seven game for a long time, but we got to wrap it up here. So I'm going to get some final last thoughts from you guys on on what you love from this game. Yeah, just two more real quick. Um, shouts out to and I'm going to go back to the defense because I love the defense and I love the boys up front, Jelly Ellis and Damato Pecco. Damato Pecco starting this game. Um, I thought they 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 played very very well, and it was easy. It, it was so it's very easy to see this or watch them kind of slide into this role. And Michael Pierce being there, or not being there, excuse me, wasn't really a factor. Um, so a big shout to them, especially Pecco, who legitimately started the game <laughs> for the Ravens. And as you talk about, they have this kind of good substitution package. They're not getting too many reps out of any guys. I believe since Josh Bynes was signed, he's the only guy who's played like 50% of the snaps in terms of the guys in the front seven wow. uh, on the defensive side of the ball. That's from Luke Jones from WNST. He had that stat out there, which is great to see. And real quickly... Just to kind of piggyback off the they, Belichick takes away your best thing. We were worried about the Texans' rush uh, de- defense. They're third in the league. They dropped to 13 after playing the Ravens. <laughs> third to 13. Is and that this, bad? That's bad. And this is not week one to week two where everything changes drastically. We're going into week 12 now coming up. I, I, I just uh, the highest amount of praise for this team and – Proving whatever sort of doubters they have wrong at this point. Yeah, and for me, you know, Lamar, he, like we said, probably got a, seems like the front runner for the MVP. He was actually installed as the Vegas favorite for the first time today, I saw uh, uh, from Adam Schefter on Twitter this afternoon. Um, that run he had in the third quarter uh, when they were up 24 nothing, almost as good. If he had taken that one to the house, uh, he got caught about 20 yards shy, but that would have arguably been an even better run than the one he just had last week because the number of guys he just had to split and it's he's so fun to watch. And then just final thought on the defensive side, we mentioned uh, this was Deshaun Watson's worst game of his career, and we were so concerned about him in the lead up to this game. Uh, he had in 31 NFL starts, he'd never lost a game by more than eight points and the Ravens won by 34. Uh, and this was the first game in Deshaun Watson's entire NFL career uh, where he has not scored a touchdown, either throwing or rushing. Just the way they were just able to limit him so much and essentially knocked him out of the MVP race. Like, it's, it's, he's done. And for a defense that, you know, we we ripped on this show, frankly, and uh, after the Kansas or uh, after the Browns game specifically, um, the fact that they're kind of just rounding into the form they are, and given the offense hasn't shown any uh, signs of slowing down, it makes the Ravens really dangerous entering the stretch run. And that's all you can ask for, really, as a fan. You hope you're, they're playing their best at the time of year that matters most, and so far they are. Lamar Jackson with that highlight. He's putting together the equivalent of the Heisman Trophy like <laughs> highlight tape that, that you need to, to get that award. For him, it'll be the MVP this season. We will have to see. Tim, you mentioned that challenge of the Ravens running the ball against the Texans. The Ravens have average right around 200 yards per per game on the ground and if they hit that number they've usually won 263 rushing yards on Sunday for the Baltimore Ravens in another dominant win but we're going to turn it around now to the AFC North where 
We're not talking about the Cincinnati Bengals because they lost again. And there's Tim. T- Tim uh, made a pledge that we're not talking about that team until they win a football. Oh, game you guys go ahead. Become relevant. I'll, I'll go take a. There's truly nothing I'm... to say about them. <laughs> Uh, solidifying their their spot for the number one overall pick. That's enough about them. Uh, the other two teams uh, played each other last week while we were recording uh, uh, a podcast. So we sort of we talked about them a little bit. I'm talking about the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Cleveland Browns. We were talking about both teams, and then that game happened. Anything happened in that game, Antonio? And now we, we, we sort of need to reapproach these two teams and go over this story that's not really a pretty one. Uh, an ugly game from start to finish on the field. Cleveland ends up winning 21 to seven. Baker Mayfield looked eh. Mason Rudolph looked bad. Uh, there were a lot of physical plays, a lot of penalties for like hits to the head. Several players got knocked out of that game. And then, and then the game was ending and there was a little scuffle uh, that everybody has heard at this point between Mason Rudolph um and Miles Garrett and Miles Garrett. That's right. I blocked the name out of my head because he's no longer going to be playing. So I've banished. It's a name. I, I no longer have to memorize. Uh, they got into a little bit of a scuffle and, and Garrett sort of took things to another level. So I'm going to toss to whoever wants to take it. What do we what do we make of this finish with with these two guys, specifically Miles Garrett? Yeah, I don't want to be I don't want to drag on this too long because the, the story's a week old. All the punishments have been handed out, all that fun stuff. Um I get that Mason Rudolph started it. I've heard that over and over and over again. But guess what? He didn't take it to an obscene, inhuman, and disgusting level that Miles Garrett did. And I, I, I thought that when I saw it live, it actually happened. We were recording that night. I went back, and while I was editing the podcast, I went and watched the rest of the game. For whatever reason, decided to stay up for the whole thing. So saw it live. And I was angry and furious all, like immediately. And I thought that that was going to be an in the moment thing. I tend to be a little bit of a hothead. Sometimes <laughs> I tend to, you know, maybe overdo it a bit in, in the moment, in, in the heat of things or overreact. I, first of all, I'm not saying I would ever take it to that level that Garrett did. <laughs> but what I'm saying is my reaction to the incident, I thought maybe would temper. We are, what five days four or five days from that from that happening and i'm still just as angry about it because i mean he could have killed mason rudolph he hits him hard enough with that thing he could have killed him you strike him with that helmet the right way if de castro doesn't get in the middle of that and kind of get in the way so he can't get the full swing in i mean rudolph's life might have changed forever and it, it's a disgusting act i don't think it's up there with malice in the palace when you're bringing in fans and stuff like that in the nba but still i think the Season-long ban without pay was correct, and I wouldn't be surprised, and I wouldn't even be that shocked or ashamed if it continued into next season. Yeah, I, th- I thought it was uh, the right the rest of the season. Uh, like you, Tim, I w- w- unsure why I was still watching the game to that point. As Antonio said, it was an atrocious game, uh, and I just I guess my thought process was, well, I've watched it this far, might as well see it through. And so I was just, you know, watching the final seconds and I was like, wow, that looks like it's escalating behind the play. And then you watch it. You're like, did he just swing that helmet at him? And like you said, he's lucky the kind of underside bumper part of the helmet is what connected with Rudolph's actual head um, when he yeah got ripped it off uh, Rudolph's head and then swung it at him. Um, 
it's not entirely unprecedented in NFL history. There's been some cases of helmet swinging in the decades past, but it's about as brutal as anything we've ever seen uh, in, in the modern era of the game, certainly recently. Uh, Albert Hainsworth got five games uh, when he stomped on Andre Gerard's uh, head in that game in 2005, I believe that was, 2006, somewhere around there. Um, so I believe the rest of the season uh, was an appropriate suspension for him. And for the Browns, that stinks. But, you know, he he, he earned every bit of that suspension. And uh, we should also say uh, Marquise Pouncey, for his role, uh, Steelers Center, suspended three games because once and it's weird to kind of understand where Marquise Pouncey is coming from, because he's not typically uh the most well-centered guy, but uh, he he punched um, Garrett in the head several times uh, and tried to kick him in the head a few occasions. So he got three games uh, and another Browns defensive tackle who just kind of leveled Rudolph well after all of that for no real apparent reason. He got a suspension as well. Um, so for the Browns, you know, they they win this game and we talked about their easy schedule and stuff and. Now they don't have their best player for the whole um, rest of the season. So I think even though they won the game, which helps the Ravens out significantly <laughs> in a big picture standing sense, um, it's it's hard to see the Browns, I think, digging out of the hole now. They're still four and six. They're without Miles Garrett for the rest of the year. Um, and like you said, Antonio, on the Steelers side, it is overshadowing. Mason Rudolph looked horrendous. Um, so I think for the Ravens, uh, you know, there's not much you can take away. It was a, about as bad as thing we've ever seen on the NFL field, but just kind of an unfortunate and on national TV too, an unfortunate incident all around for the league. I don't want to make a joke about it, but it's, it's just another in the so Browns basically, yeah. <laughs> even in a game that you win and that you're winning against a rival, the players on the field are sort of unable to, <laughs> They look, stay cool, basically, and just play the game out and win the game and go home. And, and they uh, said, just, they literally said it felt like a loss afterwards. Uh, and for the Browns had never beaten the Ravens and Steelers in the same season until they won on Thursday night. And it resulted in their best player being suspended for the rest of the year for just swinging a helmet at another man's head. In, yeah, very Browns. Only other thing I have on that real quickly, too, because we do give him a lot of crap here on this podcast um credit to baker mayfield immediately after the incident he was interviewed and he basically said it was disgusting he went over the line he's gonna get fined that's a big problem for us i don't know why he did it like didn't didn't use any sort of coach speak quote unquote or talking cliches or anything like that to try and stick up for his guy he basically called it out as it was he said it was bush league it was disgusting he's gonna get fined and now we have to see you know what's gonna happen what's gonna happen now we have to move forward basically so good on baker for that one but keep throwing those interceptions <laughs> a lot a lot was said after the fact that sort of it was shocking that miles garrett this quiet reserved guy off the field that sort of had this outburst but the only thing that i had remembered was he had several penalties earlier in the year that were like unnecessary roughness roughing the passer so i pulled it up he had he got ejected one, for throwing a punch at some point in the game this year. Ejected from another game. Yeah, so it's just a shit. And that's, you know, we come back to it over and over and over again with the Browns. That's coaching. Yeah. You yeah. have a superstar young talent who you've already seen have a, basically a temper issue in a game that he was ejected from. You need to coach that player so that they don't make the same mistake. And he made one that was, that you know, the next step when you don't coach a player up. 
and now he's out for the rest of the season. I agree with you, Tim. I think it's possible that he may miss uh, some games starting next year to make it a full, likely a full season of games, uh, and then we'll see what happens based on like appeals and all that stuff. But at the end of the day, the Steelers now five and five, the Browns four and six, and they play again in a few weeks, and I, I think they're going to continue to cancel each other out. And the Ravens are just kind of sort of flying above <laughs> this uh, with the top team uh, trying to get the number one seed in the AFC, which we're going to talk about now. So let's turn it to the NFL. Uh, some news and notes this week. Uh, the Indianapolis Colts got Jacoby Brissett back. They won a game comfortably, and then they lost their star running back, Mac, who broke his hand. Uh, and so I assume he'll be out for at least a month. Um the Vikings overcome a 20-point deficit to the Denver Broncos to win. Uh, it looked like uh, I was sort of seeing the box score of that game, one of those games. Oh, this is the game that the Vikings lose. That doesn't make any sense. Uh, and yet they were able to come back in this one. And they're sneakily, I think they're 8-3. Eight and, three. Eight and uh, three. So they're fighting for, um, obviously, a wild card spot because they're behind the Packers. But they may end up with a top seed as well. And then my last uh, note from the NFL is... Uh, this mess with Mitch Trubisky and the Chicago Bears. Uh, he looked bad again. Uh, the game against the Rams was basically ending, and their coach, uh, Matt Nagy, decided to just... It wasn't really clear whether he decided to bench Trubisky with two minutes, three minutes left in the game <laughs> that was over, or if it was an injury. They ended up saying it was an injury reason, except I've never seen a head coach walk over to their quarterback and clearly hide a conversation with the clipboard that they're having that seems emotional. He was like hugging him and holding his head and having a very intimate conversation. And then all of a sudden he just had an injury and that's why he couldn't complete the game. It's a mess in Chicago. Trubisky stinks. Uh, their coach stinks. And that was a team that people thought was going to go to the Super Bowl this year. Yeah, I think if I'm a Chicago fan, I'm out on Nagy. You know, he consi- consistently attacks the media. And that's just a Bush League move. Everybody knows Trubisky's not the answer at this point. I mean, you know, it's sad to say. You'd spent the number two overall pick. You could have had Watson. You could have had Mahomes. Everybody likes to bring up. You took Trubisky. He's not the guy. You move on. But for <clears throat> for Nagy to take him out and try and make him look like the scapegoat just made him look worse in general. And I, I it stinks because as a Baltimore Ravens fan, we've watched great defenses be wasted by atrocious offenses. And that's exactly what's happening here. The offense can't stay on the field, so by the end of the game, the defense gets way too tired. And, you know, I don't care how good you are. If you're on the field for way too long, it's going to come back to bite you at some point, even if you are Khalil Mack and some of the other guys they have on that team. So it's really sad. I always had kind of a soft spot for Chicago being one of those defensive teams. But, I mean, they're an absolute dumpster fire at this point. Well, the good news for the Bears is they don't have their first round pick. So they got that going. Oh, good. Great. (laughs) Um, On the topic of the Broncos Vikings, I watched a ton of this game uh, and we'll just get into it because this is what's bothering Jace this week. Uh, I watched a ton of this game because with your Baltimore Ravens up 34 to nothing, our local CBS station was just like, psych, nah, no one wants to watch the end of this game. And I was like, but I want to watch the end of this game. But people don't care about what I think. And because it was the national TV game, I couldn't I then couldn't stream it on Sunday ticket (laughs) because it would have been blacked out. Um, So I watched a lot of just Kirk Cousins leading a comeback and Stefan Diggs was awesome. So it was he a terp. It was fun to uh, watch that. And um, 
Broncos, you know, it's one of those games where you're like, wow, what a comeback. But also the Vikings should never be down 20 to nothing to this Broncos team. So I don't really know. They got the win, but they shouldn't be too happy about it. Uh, Broncos, uh, uh, Kevin Harlan said on the call, their fourth blown fourth quarter lead of the season. So they're in these games, but they just cannot finish. Um, and again, we've talked coaching a lot similar to Freddie Kitchens. You know, Vic Fangio, not a young coach. He's a 60 year old man, but he's a first time head coach. Uh, and, you know, you oh, you never know how these guys will do when they're kind of thrust into uh, the top job. And so far, they seem to be unable to close these <laughs> close games. Um, they basically staged a five minute drive to end in the game that ended with no points. So that wasn't ideal. Um, but yeah, so uh, just to kind of wrap what's bothering me. I wish I could have watched the end of the Ravens game. I do a Ravens podcast. It would have been great to watch that whole game live. But the NFL and our local CBS station had other ideas. So I watched a ton of the other 1PM games. I also watched a ton of Cowboys-Lions, which were good games, admittedly. And I probably didn't miss much of the Ravens game. But I would have liked to see Gus Bus go to the house live. But It I was pretty cool. But it was pretty get, cool. But I didn't get to. So for me, the game ended at 34 nothing live. So I was that's what's bothering me. I didn't get to watch the end of the Ravens game. You know what? I'd take it for living in sunny California. So I feel no <laughs> yeah. remorse it for is, Jace Evans. It, it, we've had a heat wave, so it was in like the 80s yesterday. Uh. Oh, no. <laughs> Shoot. I only have a couple other notes um, from the NFL weekend. Uh, Saints bounce back, 34-17. <laughs> Jameis Winston continues to throw hilarious interceptions. Um, he is very – it's – Probably not going to happen, but he might be able to break the single season interceptions record. Like it's in play. He'd have to go on a crazy streak. I mean, it's it's gotten to the point. It's so bad that OJ Howard, his tight end, is literally giving the ball to the other team. That was one if of you the funniest interceptions I've ever seen. If you haven't seen the clip going around, he catches it, then he like starts fumbling it, drops it. Somehow it ends up behind his back, and then just goes into like the hands of a Saints defender. Yeah. Um, the Falcons might give Dan Quinn an extension to stay in the NFC South. They're on fire right now. They're three and seven. Big twenty nine three win over the Panthers, who wanted to trade Cam Newton and now probably not going to because Kyle Allen is not the answer at quarterback. Four <laughs> interceptions for him as well. And if we move over to our other local team, the Washington Redskins oh continue continue to show how much of a trash heap that entire franchise is at the moment. Thirty four seventeen loss at home. To Sam Darnold, Sam seeing Ghost Darnold and the Jets, four touchdowns for Sam Darnold. And the one clip that I saw uh, that was pretty viral, I don't know if you've seen it, uh, running around Twitter, was Dwayne Haskins trying to, like, fire up his offensive lineman. And he was like, guys, what can I do to help you? Like, you got to do stuff to help me. Like, and trying to be a leader, trying to take some semblance of responsibility for what's going on on the field. And they're all just kind of looking at him with a blank stare yeah. and kind of like laughing at him and shrugging him off because they're like, no, 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 we're the Redskins. Like, this is how this goes. <laughs> I was watching that without sound and I was extremely <laughs> confused because one person seemed to be making an impassioned speech. <laughs> And five other players are looking at him as if he's reading off, like, the Subway sandwiches menu list or something. They're just blank faces. And I was like, what What could he possibly be saying that isn't getting any sort of emotional reaction by anybody else in that circle? It was bizarre. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, 
it's truly almost never been this bad for the Redskins. I read they matched their worst start in franchise history, which was in 61, which if you know NFL history, the Redskins were the last team to integrate. And that was one of their last seasons uh, before they did that. So there uh, it's about as bad as it's ever been for the Redskins. Um, and there was no one at that game. Um, they did score a touchdown, at least. They'd gone 16 straight quarters without a touchdown, so they got that going for them, I guess. But they're really bad, and they're going to be picking in the top three, so I hope they find someone, <laughs> something useful, um, because they, I, I don't even know where you go for them, though. They, As it turns out, the Dolphins had this bold strategy to tank the whole season, and the two worst teams are owned by Mike Brown and Dan Snyder. So, as always, the key to being bad in the NFL is just have a bad owner, and your team will be bad on accident. So, Unfortunately, in the top three or five picks, there will not be a good new owner for the Washington Redskins, (laughs) so they're going to have to figure something else out. One other game I want to go over, uh, and that was a game that I watched way too much of, and it was not a good game. The Patriots playing at Philadelphia, I was sort of holding out hope that after the Ravens win, uh, Patriots lost, and the Ravens would have had the number one seed in the AFC. Yeah, it would have been cool. Eagles take a 10-0 lead. It seems like, oh my goodness, perfect. The Pats are frauds. Uh, The Pats still didn't look great, even though they scored 17 unanswered points, the last of which being the first drive of the second half. (laughs) And then the two teams... Went 10 straight drives, punting the ball back and forth to each other. (laughs) The Eagles then had a sustained drive of 11 plays where they then turned it over on downs. The Patriots punted it one more time for good measure, and the game ended 17 to 10. I don't know what to make of this Pats team. I maintain they're not good. Still, the Eagles just managed to look worse in this game. And the Patriots are now 9 and 1 and still have a lead for the number one spot in the AFC. I will say, just to your point about them being frauds, I disagree, one. Two, and we'll talk about some of these coming up as we do our gambling segments, I'm sure. They've got Cowboys at Texans and Chiefs are their next three games. That is where they're going to prove if they're frauds or not. Because after that, it's at Bengals versus Bills versus Dolphins. So (laughs) three relatively tough games, although, you know, who knows about the Cowboys, who knows about the Texans? Hell, who knows about the Chiefs at this point? And then three where they're just going to coast. So I want to bring that up for the two of you then, because the Ravens' next three games are at the Rams, home against the 49ers, and then at the Bills. And those are their three games against teams with, win- with winning records. And then they also finish the year with three teams that are either at 500 or below with the Jets, Browns, and Steelers. What are your guys' thoughts or the likelihood that by the end of these next three games... The Ravens are either tied for the same record as the Patriots having that tiebreaker, or are they still behind them and chasing that number one seed? They're still going to be behind them because the NFL's annoying and the Patriots always win. And no matter how bad they look, they're going to go 14 and two and be hosting the AFC championship game against the Ravens. But again, in Foxborough, um, I, I, I want to believe, but I think... I just have a feeling the Cowboys are going to find a way to get like hammered in this game somehow. And that's half the battle. And then, uh, and then, like you said, the chiefs, their, their defense, their own defense stinks. So even if the Patriots offense is bad, I don't know if we'll know it. If they can limit Mahomes in any way, they could win that game. And then 
And then that's, at that point, it's probably the Ravens probably have to win out, I think, to have a realistic chance. And I don't see that happening, unfortunately. This feels weird. And unlike me, we got him. We got him. T- took me 10 weeks. By the end of these three weeks, the Baltimore Ravens are going to be the top seed in the AFC. And they're not going to give it up. And wow. guess what? The playoffs are going to have to go through the bank. And guess who ain't losing at the bank? The Baltimore Ravens. Because if they lose, you can meet Mark Ingram outside, like he said in the postgame press conference. He's about that. Big woo. He's about that with the big old eyes. Big woo. Big woo. Big trust. Big trust. Whatever that means. Big trust. I, I'm going to agree with Tim. I Actually, let me, let me stop for a second. I agree with Jace that the NFL is terrible and the Patriots are going to figure this out oh, somehow. wholeheartedly agree with that. But looking at the schedules, I agree with Tim. I mean, that, you know, we made them look terrible, but I think the Patriots are going to struggle at the Texans. I think Houston is going to get up for that game. I think the Chiefs game is going to be very, very difficult for the Patriots to outscore the Chiefs in that game and the Cowboys game. I have absolutely no idea. With the Pats playing at home, I I have never been able to figure out the Cowboys for the past, like, five to seven years. Yeah. I've never really known when they're going to win and when they have a good team and when they don't. But Patriots, I think if they drop one of those games, maybe two of those games, I think the Ravens could, uh, could take control and then have that loss against the Steelers in Week 17 to... Uh, <laughs> to lose the number one seed. But we will cross that bridge when we get to it. Any other news and uh, notes from the NFL for you guys before we move on to uh, Random Ravens? Uh, All right, let's let's take it then. Jace, you're up this week for our Random Raven. Very excited to hear. uh, You told us uh, pre-recording that you got a a doozy for us this week. Yeah, so five clues for you today. Um, And I've realized I've gravitated towards defensive backs so in lieu of doing yet another defensive back we're heading to the other side of the ball this All tight right, end offensive player played for the yeah. ravens from 2004 to 2008 clue two he was an undrafted free agent out of appalachian state who played one game with the jets in 2001 and two with the tampa bay buccaneers in 2003 before catching on with the ravens for the rest of his career He's whoa, 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 whoa. read that one. Read that one back if you don't mind. He uh, number two. He was an undrafted free agent out of Appalachian State who played one game with the Jets in two thousand one and two with the Buccaneers in two thousand three before catching on with the Ravens for the rest of his career, which lasted until two thousand eight. Okay. Clue three. He's in the top twenty in Ravens career TD receptions with eight, tied with Mike Wallace and just ahead of Shannon Sharp and many others. <laughs> it's such a bummer that eight, eight. is in the top twenty. <laughs> we have such a good offense this year. Um, clue four: He finished third on the team in two thousand six with three hole touchdown grabs behind <laughs> fellow tight end Todd Heap and Mark Clayton. And clue five. He wore two numbers in his five years with the Ravens. He wore number 44 in 2004, then 83 in his last four seasons. Oh, God. I have a guess, but I think I'm messing the name up somehow. So we're going to wait about Uh-oh. 20 minutes and see if, <laughs> see if it comes to me by the end of the episode. You know what's really weird is that 2016 went 13-3, and three, correct? Yeah. It's a huge hole for me. I know more about the like the seven and nine team. <laughs> Tim, that's because you blocked it out of your memory when that Super Bowl team didn't win a playoff game. Yeah, that's yeah. probably it. That's probably it. I wow. That season was I so have, good. 
Can I ask one question? Yes. Did this guy wear a visor? Oh, that's a good question. I don't think so, okay. but I'll no, do some fine. Googling as we talk here. So that's our that's Jace's random raven. We will uh, answer it at the end of the show. For the listener out there, this is uh, one of the more challenging ones. So I uh, hope you guys hope one of you can figure it out. Uh, uh, it, uh, it appears alert. no. Okay. Spoiler alert: I have absolutely no idea. I got a name. I got a last name, and I do not remember the first name, and it's kind of bother. I think I'm like accidentally putting two athletes' names together mm. with the first and last name. But we will we will take that guess at the end of uh, at oh. the end of the episode. So let's uh, move ahead now. I don't think I stumped you guys so far. (laughs) (laughs) Let's move ahead now to the preview against the Los Angeles Rams. The Ravens traveling west. The Ravens traveling to Jace, who may or may not be trying to go to the game. Yeah, we'll need to buy tickets, but uh, I am off that day. Um, And yeah, trying to go pay a visit to the Los Angeles Memorial Coliseum. The, one the of the final games played in the Coliseum before the Rams moved to their new stadium. So we'll, we'll hope to hear, uh, we'll hope you go and that you can tell us a little bit about it when you, uh, when you come back on the pod next week. That's a Monday night game, which normally we would not be thrilled about any Ravens game in primetime, but this is a new team. This is a different team. This is a new generation, and I'm excited to see them playing on national television. The Rams, 6-4, and four, uh, started out 3-0, and oh, have stumbled. The offense doesn't look as good as it was last year when they, you know, went to the Super Bowl. Uh, Goff has put up some pedestrian numbers, but this is still going to be, it's a tough game against a good coach on the road traveling to the West Coast. So uh, what are you guys' thoughts on on this game? Uh, first of all, giving Goff that contract extension when they didn't have to is going to go down as one of the worst moves in in recent NFL history, in my opinion. He has the single highest cap hit number next season at something like $36 million or something absolutely ridiculous. Um, yeah, I watched all the Sunday night game la- um, as we're recording last night, I should say, between the Bears and the Rams, which we talked about the Bears side of it. Rams weren't very good either. It was ugly. This is not the greatest show on turf. This is not the McVay's a genius team that we saw last season. Um, their offensive line has been really bad. Their offensive line has struggled mightily. Heads up. Jared Goff, not nearly as mobile as Deshaun Watson. Maybe it's another Matthew Judon game. Maybe it's another thing where you have to win in the trenches. Yeah, that, that big old <laughs> wiping his nose celebration. I don't know I what think. it is, but I just did it in the studio for those. Of you oh, yeah, true. Just, just this is an audio subject. video. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think I enjoyed it. <laughs> this is very this is very much one of those games and it, it sounds cliche, but I really think this game's gonna be won in the trenches. Because if they're able to expose this offensive line, stop Todd Gurley in the running game, and get after Goff and, and create pressure, they're gonna be able to get off the field, giving it to the offense who's gonna have to deal with Aaron Donald well, and that defensive line. Aaron Donald is a nightmare. Aaron Donald. Please don't hurt Lamar Jackson. Well, yeah, I, I, I hope Lamar has his running shoes on because <laughs> Aaron Donald is concerned number one by far for me. He's going to be lining up right over that dynamic Brad, uh, Bradley Bozeman, Matt uh, Sakura uh, uh, tandem. And I just envision him just splitting that every snap. <laughs> he's so yeah. strong. He's so fast. Um if they can handle him, and I, there are concerns. Clay Matthews has kind of had a resurgent year off the uh, off the edge, um, but Aaron Donald, he is just kind of terrifying, and I I don't know. I don't even know if there's anyone who can really handle him. They're gonna have to. Now I believe in Greg Roman to kind of maybe scheme around 
him. Um, but he's by far my biggest concern with this game, especially given where he typically lines up and the linemen like he's not. They're just not going to line him up against Marshall Yonda. They're just like, oh, we'll just line you up over the much worse guard on the other side. <laughs> well, that's the biggest thing, though, too, is you're not going to neutralize Donald. I mean, he's right. won. I believe he's won back-to-back yeah. NFL, NFL Defensive Player of the Year for a reason. He's an he's he's a monster, and and for a defensive tackle to win that award show, shows you how good he's been. Greg Roman is going to come up with a scheme to make sure he has as little impact as possible. Whether it's running away from him, whether it's doing a lot of read option stuff based on where he's going, whether it's zone runs to the right. To, to get your running back up the field before Donald has the tendency to get down the field. Donald does have a tendency, too, and, the, and I actually like listen, listening to Collinsworth because I learned something. said this last night. Donald is so sack happy, and he's very, very good at what he does, that he likes to get up the field a lot where you can run at him because he leaves his hole. He's not very responsible when it comes to over-pursues. Yeah, he over-pursues. Yeah. He doesn't stay in his gap and wait for the running back to come for him. He goes right to the ball, and you're and you're able to expose that. I trust Greg Roman to come up with a plan. I trust Lamar Jackson and how safe he's been so far this season relatively with the ball, to not, to not have any stupid turnovers, strip, sack, fumbles, anything like that. That being said, like you said, I really don't trust Bradley Bozeman and Matt Sakura, <laughs> although they have been better than I thought they would be at the start of the year, facing an all-pro, all-world talent at the defensive tackle position like Aaron Donald is going to be a problem, and they're going to have to game plan for him. Yeah, I mean, I, I hope that there's not one play called in this game where Lamar Jackson has an inside run. Yeah, for <laughs> true. Frank, which they did a few of in that Texans game, more than I thought they would do. They do one of those per game, maybe, and they had three or four different occasions where he had inside runs, and he got hit a few times, uh, getting you know into with the big the big boys inside. I would only have Lamar <laughs> make outside <laughs> runs. Uh, the other thing I think that we that sort of works in the Ravens' favor in terms of attacking Donald and preventing him from just wreaking havoc is we use so many tight ends all the time that we can stack our line with tight ends as we normally do in passing downs, and they can just be there for blocking in terms of run support, pass blocking. Leave one of them in this time <laughs> instead of having both of them run routes. Ricard, he can play fullback. Yeah, he let, can. Let him, let him plug, <laughs> plug the inside uh, and put that 300-pound nimble, agile body in terms of, I would just double-team Donald the entire oh, game. yeah, absolutely. Uh, use what you can. Use misdirection. Run the ball away from him. Uh, and the and then and then you just have to deal with Jalen Ramsey. Um, <laughs> but this isn't really a team where I don't think Jalen Ramsey is going to have that much of an impact, only because we're not like an air it out deep throw type team. We're just going to throw the little seven yard, yeah. you know, seam seam routes and all that stuff. I it's you know the Rams have been a weird team all season. I was terrified of this matchup. You know, when the schedule comes out, you think there's no way the Ravens traveling west are going to beat the ex NFC, you know, champions, but I just think this game this game matches up really well for the Ravens now. Jared Goff is not gonna light it up. I think he's in big trouble in the pocket. I think he's he's froze all year in the pocket when there's pressure. I think they're gonna get pressure by blitzing him. He's looked awful against blitzes because he doesn't need he's not really mobile. He's made some bad decisions under pressure and I think that's gonna happen all game. And if we can just run the ball away from Aaron Donald, <laughs> use our misdirection, use, uh, you know, the Roman uh, game plan. 
I, I think this is going to end up being a more comfortable, it's not going to be 41 to 7, but a more comfortable win than we would have ever thought even a month ago. Yeah, I agree with you too. I mean, it's it's weird. You think about the beginning of the year, it's weird saying that their defense scares me more than their offense. And you got guys like Donald, you mentioned Jalen Ramsey, former Raven Eric Weddle, who can still play at a high level back there at the free safety spot. Uh, Clay Matthews, who has a little bit left still. Dante Fowler Jr. can get after the passer. Michael Brockers, another high draft pick guy when he came into the league. has got talent. Uh, this guy, Corey Littleton, who they were, they were, it's like the one guy that you don't really know that they're just pumping up on the podcast or the podcast, excuse me, the broadcast the entire time. A guy who is known as their sort of cover linebacker who's quick enough to deal with tight ends and running backs. It's going to be interesting to see how he lines up either guarding Ingram coming out of the back uh, backfield, whether it's Mark Andrews, whoever it is with Littleton. The one guy on the offensive side that really does worry me, though, is Cooper Cup. Um, they've, they have some injuries. Brandon cooks is out. Robert Woods is questionable, but Cooper cup is, he is the reason they win or lose games. It seems like if he has a good game, their probability of winning skyrockets. And I wonder how the Ravens are going to deal with a slot guy like that. You know, in the past we saw Juju, it was Marlon Humphrey on him. Then he was on, then he, and he played well. Then he was on Lockett, didn't play so well. And they had to move some things around. Uh, Marcus Peters obviously wasn't there for the Steelers game. Maybe he takes over a little bit of the slot duty. Jimmy Smith is healthy as well. We talked about it at the beginning of the podcast. The secondary is very good. So I, I think they will find an answer. But Cooper Cup is one of those guys, man. Third and six, he's going to get six and a half. Third, third and 14, he'll get the 14 and a half. It's going to be one of those guys that they're going to have to key in and shut down. You talk about Donald on the defensive side of the ball. For me, Cooper Cup on the offensive side of the ball is the guy they're really going to have to worry about. Um, any concerns for you all with Todd Gurley? He got his most touches in well over a year in Sunday night's game. Now, he didn't do a ton with them, but the Bears do have a, still a good defense like we talked about. But I, in one sense, I am because he's very talented. But the other, like you said, Antonio, when this schedule came out, I was like, ah, at L.A., loss. But I just don't think you can say that anymore just based on you know, we talked about the Ravens have beat four straight NFL teams by over 14 points, and three of them are very good teams who will probably make the playoffs, um, uh, almost certainly. Uh, and, you know, I agree. I don't think the Ravens are going to win 41 to seven, but uh, I think it's impossible to not like their chances against a team. Like you said, G- golf is backslid in every way, and they really haven't shown an ability to get much going on. I mean, you kind of are who you are at this point in the NFL season, at least to some degree. Uh, And it's hard to just imagine they're just going to get on track with a defense that itself is really finding its footing. So I like the Ravens chances a lot, um, certainly more than I would have thought weeks ago. But uh, yeah, I think they'll get after Jared Goff and I'm excited. I hope to get out and see it. It should be a fun one. Yeah, just to answer your question, Gurley doesn't really worry me because I don't think any running back is really, since this defense has kind of been quote-unquote reborn. Nobody, retooled. Yeah, retooled. <laughs> there, that's a better word. Um, nobody's really kind of gashed this defense from the running back position, and a lot of that has to do with the offense getting early leads and teams are forced to throw the ball. But, I mean, Gurley I think still is a talented player. That's another guy. They gave him the extension when they didn't have to, and they're going to pay for it on the back end. Oh, yeah, wait, they can just redraft guys. Oh, no, they, they can't because they don't have any first-round picks <laughs> until 2022 
which doesn't make any sense. But that's a whole different story. But I mean, now Gurley, I, I in terms of the offense, I'm much more worried in a guy like Cooper Cup. And with that, I gotta say, unless you have any more points on on this game, Ravens are minus three against the Rams. Away from home, favorites away from home on Monday night, traveling west. The Tim Horsey of old is slamming that Rams pick. <laughs> the Tim Horsey led by Lamar Jackson <laughs> and the best team in the NFL is taking Ravens minus three all day, every day. I can't believe Tim has you've you've come full circle. I don't like it. And it's an <laughs> offensive team and you and <laughs> you you don't know what to do with this offense. I don't know what to do with my hands. <laughs> Tim, I, I agree with you. Uh Jace, to answer your question, Gurley does not scare me. I mean, he's, he's I guess, gotten more touches and looked a little better, but for the full body of work, ever since the end of last season, he just has not looked like the same guy. That that burst isn't there. I don't see him breaking tackles and, and getting around people at the same time, which used to be sort of his MO. He was so well-rounded. Uh, and I think the I don't think the Rams have can are going to be able to keep up with us. Basically, this it seems crazy. I I don't know what I'm saying yeah. <laughs> in a game where the Ravens are traveling to the West Coast against the NFC champion, defending champion. But I truly think that Rams are not going to be able to keep up with the Ravens offensively. And if the Ravens score first, which we've seen over and over and over again, you know they technically could have scored a field goal <laughs> on that first drive in the Houston game, but. A little doink off the uh, off the upright, or else they would have had a three nothing lead off of their first drive. I think the Ravens score first. I think they control the clock, control the ball, and if they score over 20, 23 points, which they've done with such ease over the past five six games, I don't think the Rams are going to keep up. I, I love the Ravens at minus three uh, on the road in this one. Yeah, I'm Ravens minus three too, and uh, they like Coliseum, cool venue, very old, was built in the twenties. I think opened in the early 30s, maybe, but um, it's not a particularly intimidating home field. So I don't really have any concerns with the Ravens going out there. Night game, um, it's not going to be hot. Perfect temperatures, probably. So I think Ravens bring their A game and they have shown no signs of that not happening pretty much since the Cleveland game. I think they win handle, not handily, but certainly the minus three, I think, is in no doubt. So I'm going to go with that, too. Yeah, I, I like it as like a 10 point, 10 point win, which at this point is almost being conservative based on just how good they've looked. Okay, in the past all right, all right, like, all right, I, all right, all right, you know, stop. I'm stop. just, I want to be proved wrong. I'm going to ride this until we get proved wrong. Uh, a few of the games that I like this week as we shift into our gambling segment here, the Seattle Seahawks are a good team. Uh, and the Philadelphia Eagles have been extremely mediocre all season and really haven't been able to put it together. Seattle is getting two points at Philadelphia. I know it's a you know West Coast team traveling east. I don't really care. I, I think Philadelphia is still punting the ball uh, the day after their game against <laughs> the Patriots. So I'm taking Seattle at plus two. And then the Oakland Raiders are three-point favorites at the Jets. Uh, and I know the Jets won a game against the only other terrible team that is worse than them in the NFL, uh, which is the Washington Redskins. Oakland, I just think they take care of business against a bad team, and and it's another West Coast team traveling east. So I guess that's the theme this week is that I'm just not concerned with the Ravens going west or the West Coast teams going east, and I'll probably be proved wrong. <laughs> uh, but those are my uh, my three picks this week. Yeah, I like again with the Ravens as well. I love that Seattle pick, but I'll go somewhere different because you got that one there already. Um, I can't believe I'm doing this. Jace did it earlier in the year. The Miami Dolphins <laughs> are not who we thought they were. 
and they are traveling to the Cleveland Browns. The Cleveland Browns in, in complete and utter disarray. <laughs> I feel like this is just a troll against Cleveland. Oh, it absolutely <laughs> is. It 100% is. They, they win this game. It feels like a loss. They lose their best player. Freddie Kitchen still doesn't know what's going on. I mean, I, I'm surprised he even knows where the facility is at this point. He did say in, uh, I don't know if you caught his postgame comments, but he asked a reporter to repeat a question because he said something along the lines of, quote, I don't know what that means. <laughs> So that was wow. a good that was a good moment. <laughs> so anyway, Miami is getting ten and a half points against that team. Um, they're playing hard for Brian Flores. Credit to him. You know, they're still not very good, but I think they're better than eleven points. Um, and I, I, and frankly, I just don't think the Browns are that good. So I think the Browns probably win the game. So there you go, Cleveland. But it's going to be close. Um, my other one too. I predicted New England would come out and stomp all over the Philadelphia Eagles. Last week, coming out of the bye, pissed off after the uh, loss to the Baltimore Ravens by 17 points. Um, but they weren't. And then, as Antonio talked about, they were pretty drab. That being said, I'm still taking New England minus six and a half at home to Dallas. Uh, you guys were talking about it before. I kind of kept my mouth shut because I wanted to make it here. Dallas has some good players. Dak Prescott is a playing at maybe an MVP level. He should be in that conversation. And Jerry's going to have to pay him in this, this <laughs> offseason. But they, they haven't beat anybody good yet. And you know what? You could say New England hasn't beat anybody good yet either. But I still trust New England minus six and a half uh, to get that win over Dallas. I'm sure Jason Garrett versus Bill Belichick. <laughs> you know, g- give me Bill Belichick all day. That's worth a couple points there anyway. The clapper. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I got so with my Miami plus ten and a half, New England minus six and a half to go with my Ravens minus three. Uh, well, I'm taking a no- trip to the AFC North. And briefly discussing the Cincinnati Bengals. Oh! Steelers are at the Bengals. They're seven-point favorites. I'm taking that minus seven. Uh, uh, Ryan Finley's going to throw five interceptions in this game. Uh, the Steelers' defense, Mason Rudolph's bad, but the Steelers' defense is awesome. The Cincinnati Bengals are horrendous. Officially the first team eliminated from playoff contention uh, for what that's worth. Sorry, Bengals fans, your playoff dreams are over. Um, So I'm taking the Steelers. I just think there's no way that that's a seven point game. And then you guys are going to make fun of me. But Aaron Rodgers is an underdog. He's a three point underdog at the San Francisco 49ers who nearly lost to the Cardinals on Sunday. Yeah. Um, Aaron Rodgers. Coming off a bye, three-point underdog. Uh, Like we mentioned earlier in the show, Vikings closing in, have the same amount of wins. They need a win to keep the lead in the NFC North. I'm going with Aaron Rodgers. I'm going with the Packers. uh, Plus three at the San Francisco 49ers. I'm I'm into that pick. Me too. uh, too. We give you a little bit of a hard time because you're such a a fan of Aaron Rodgers, but I think (laughs) whenever you get him getting points... Uh, is an opportunity that's good to, too good to pass out, especially against Jimmy Garoppolo in prime time. You know, I'll take that. <laughs> All right, so that's going to do it for our picks. Uh, it's just the random Raven yet to be answered. So, Jace, uh, why don't you give us those clues one more time? Uh, and then, Tim, if uh, if you don't have a name, then I'm going to take my step. I still don't think I've gotten the name exactly right, but I'll take a step. So why don't you read those clues one more time? This tight end played for the Ravens from 2004 to 2008. He was an undrafted free agent out of Appalachian State who played one game with the New York Jets in 2001 and then two games with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in 2003 before catching on with the Ravens for the rest of his career. 
He's in the top 20 in Ravens career TD receptions with eight tied with Mike Wallace and just ahead of Shannon Sharp and many others. He finished third on the team in 2006 with three touchdown grabs behind only fellow tight end Todd Heap and wide receiver Mark Clayton. And then clue five, he wore two numbers in his five years with the Ravens, the first being 44 in 2004, and then wore 83 the rest of his time in Baltimore. I, I, I got nothing. I feel like I've, this is the second or third time that I've been blanked. It, it, it's really ruining the psyche. But yeah, <laughs> I, I, I like I can picture this guy. I feel like he wore half sleeves. <laughs> I don't know why. That could be completely wrong. Um, yeah, go ahead, because I, I have no idea. Uh, so I have a guess. I've Now that I've thought of it more and more, the first name that I have is wrong. And I, I'm going to sort of circle this, taking the most roundabout way possible. And Jason, yeah, let me know if I'm, if I'm sort of getting close here, but I was confusing the first name and the last name of this player because there's a former Maryland Terrapin there is. who has this guy's last name, <laughs> and I was, putting the fr- I was putting the first name to it from the guy who won the title with the Terps. First uh, round pick by the Seattle as Supersonics. A and then just went, so that was the first name. So I don't know the first name of this guy, but the last oh, name is, the last name is I Wil- got your first name. <laughs> the last name is Wilcox. Yes. It's Daniel Wilcox. Daniel, Daniel Wilcox. There you go. <laughs> he definitely wore the half sleeves. I knew it. <laughs> Yeah, Daniel Wilcox. Um, I don't know why this guy's just in my brain, but I was just like, oh, he was a player I liked. Uh, he didn't ca- catch that many balls, but it seemed like he was, you know, he was there for a while. And I guess th- third on the team in touchdown grabs, seemingly one of their better receivers somehow. Yeah, that is <laughs> shocking and really upsetting. And it's, you know, we're going to have five to 10 to 15 years of Lamar Jackson, and all of these offensive numbers are going to change for the better, and all these records are going to be established with new players because Lamar Jackson is the answer, and he's going to take us there forever. <laughs> At Coach Wilcox on Twitter, by the way. Oh, so good for him. Yeah, I don't, uh, owner of Wilcox Customs, LLC. Well, uh, we'll see if we can get him on the show. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> For some reason, again, it was the college that reminded me. I just knew, not knew, but was thought of him as the Appalachian State guy. I don't know why these colleges are putting it together, but yeah, I, because we've I, all I been born in psychology no idea class, where he plays. <laughs> App State was an FCS school at the time, so that's impressive. You knew that. I don't. I don't know. I definitely didn't. <laughs> and uh, and good job by him to make it to the make it to the NFL. And make it onto this episode of Pod Like a Raven as the Random Raven. So next week I will be up with the random Raven, and I will. That was a good one, Jace. One of the one of the better ones Very of good. the year. I will try to come up with a guy as random as him. Just real quickly, too, because I know we're wrapping the show. Obviously, the show is not going to come out on Tuesday morning next week because we will be watching the game on Monday night. I couldn't convince Tim to uh, do a live episode, not a live episode, but record the episode during the game <laughs> because it probably wouldn't be an adult. I was a child-friendly show. It would say. not be a family show if that was the case. Just a lot of scripts. Um, and Jason, ah, and Jay- <laughs> yeah, a lot of that. Jason's going to be at the Coliseum too, so we'll record and release on Wednesday of next week. Is when you can expect the episode Wednesday morning in your favorite podcast feed, where you like, subscribe, share, all that fun stuff. So just just a heads up. I mean, pretty obvious, but just want to make sure people know. Wednesday, a day, not a lot, you know, not a lot going on. You should have, you're bored. You, you want some more NFL coverage. And Hot so day. listen to, uh, to Pod Like a Raven as we recap what is sure to be another Ravens victory against the Los Angeles Rams. That's going to do it for us for Jace Evans, 
Tim Horsey. I'm Antonio Barbera. Thanks for listening. We will see you next week on Pod Like a Rip. mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.